anything and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I've got a little note to myself. It's a long text, and I wrote, don't truncate. <laughs> We're going to read it. We'll read it, and I'm not going to try. I'll try not. <laughs> I should have written maybe don't mumble. So we're going to try and read and listen and hear this story. We need to get this. This is so good. So listen up. Here we go. God's word says this, Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, for I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is 
for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What a great story. Please be seated and let's pray. Lord, your Holy Spirit that fell at Pentecost on the Jews, that fell on those half-breed, formerly despised Samaritans, that fell on these Gentiles is present and and in living within those of us who are your believers. And we know that Jesus himself is present through our Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would help us as we think and as we interact with your text this morning and do your work, your great, wonderful, loving, convicting work today, right now, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There is no doubt that our world is a better place because of the wonderful diversity of people in it. I was um, 
going to pick my daughter up from her job at the Goodwill, and I always look at the movies and the CDs. What do they have for a dollar? <laughs> I got a great one for a dollar. Uh, Ator Villalobos, a Brazilian composer. Six discs and a video and a booklet in a box for a dollar. The complete string quartets. Villalobos said this, and I've been listening to his music on the other side of an old cassette of, of uh, Rodrigo's music. This composer said, yes, I'm Brazilian, very Brazilian. In my music, I let the rivers and seas of this great Brazil sing. I don't put a gag on the tropical exuberance of our forests and our skies, which I intuitively transpose to everything I write. And I thought those string quartets are different than when I sometimes visit my Scandinavian roots and tune in that folk station out of, out of Norway that I get to hear on the TuneIn app that uh, plays some old Norwegian singing and, and some, some strings that are a little different. The other day I said, well, I got this app and boy, you can listen to uh, New Age music beamed from Moscow. That was interesting. But I tuned in this Brazilian station, Bela Horizonte, pronouncing that right, maybe? And I said, I want to hear some, some Portuguese talk and some Portuguese language. And you, and you know what I heard? First thing I heard, I said, I got to look at this. Am I in the right place? I heard Seymour, Indiana. It was John Mellencamp singing When the Walls Come Tumbling Down. And I thought, that's interesting that that's what they're playing there. And then afterwards, they played something in Portuguese. But you think about just the flavors of music or the flavors of food. And different people like different things. Uh, who can argue with Brazilian cheese bread, which, I, uh, which we had some last night uh, over at Carini's house, and, and, and some of the Brazilian bakery stuff, or the Indian food, or some people like Italian food, and, and there's some German food. There's a little bit of Norwegian-y type uh, stuff that, that, that's been handed down in my family. And you think about the great diversity and wonder of the people around the world and what they sing like and eat and, and how they talk and express themselves. Uh, the, the cricket players uh, from Brazil, are, are, are not from Brazil, they don't play cricket in Brazil, they play soccer. The cricket players from India versus England, and they react differently to different things. And then the West Indies guys go nuts when they think there's been a wicket. And it's almost like over the top if you're an English cricketer. But God has made a wonderful, great mix of people. And that was going to be the closing point. It's the opening point. It leads into something. But love the great, beautiful diversity of God's creation, even in people. And understand that people didn't always have the privilege that we have of enjoying that. And then you think about this text, and you think about the spreading of God's church, and you think about how God is not a local God. A hymn that I'm surprised is not in our Trinity hymnal. We used to sing it sometimes here. Whenever there was a text like this, in Christ there is no east or west. That's a good one to look up and, 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 uh, and read those lyrics. Um, but you think about God's spreading his gospel to all people. This is not a sermon about racism. 
But boy, it touches on, boy, that's the hot topic of the day. And this will help us and inform us even on that important topic. Good books have been written. here's, here's, Here's the lead off. This is, sermon is not meant to be a treatise on racism. There are some great books written on it, some good theological studies. I can direct you to some things that have helped me understand in a a balanced way. But you say, why is Acts 10 in the Bible at all if it's not to talk about God's spreading of his gospel beyond just one race of people? Why is it there? Why did Luke write it? But more importantly, why did God inspire Luke to write it? Why did God write it? If you think this text is simply just to answer some questions about race in America and the world in the early 21st century, then you're going to miss what you need to see. Uh, There's a way to look at things, and then there's a biblical way. And you've got to say, God, help me understand this text. I can look at it with my eyes, but I have so many other things to filter in. God, help me to see what you want me to see, even about race and about peoples. There's a billboard driving in from New Milford. I I always look at this billboard. And I was like, that's the dumbest billboard I've ever seen. Say yes to the address. The address. What's the address? There's no address on that billboard. Uh, what's the address? What is it? And, and the next time I slowed down and I looked and it's just a woman standing in front of a building and, that's, and then I said, no, I'm just a hillbilly hick clodhopper from Iowa. Most people don't say address, they say address. It's say yes to the address. And that's a playoff on the show. All of a sudden that's catchy. All of a sudden I realized that's a, a woman a realtor and that's actually a good billboard. The problem wasn't the billboard, the problem was me and my pronunciation and my way of understanding things. Uh, Say yes to the address. Uh, Look at the scripture. Don't say what's wrong with the scripture. Say, what am I not getting if you don't get it? It's not the scripture's issue. It's ours to try and pray and ponder and look and see what it means. And this is a, it's about race, but it's a whole lot more. We will have race based questions in this world all the way to heaven. We had them all the way through scripture. Moses' brother and sister, boy, they were heroes at certain points of scripture, and they were like us. They had their good days and they had their bad days, and there they were. You see them out there in the wilderness ripping apart Moses, essentially for a a, a mixed-race interracial marriage. And what happened? Leprosy, uh, those types of things, and Moses had to intercede and pray as they were critical of Moses' wife and his marriage. Race issues from the start. Bible, I've said this last week, I'll say it again, there are only two divisions of people in God's eyes. There are the offspring of Cain, there are the offspring of Seth. There are God's people, and there are the devil's people. There's the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And the undercard is, is, is played out even in us. There are people who belong to God and people who are enemies of God. And what we need to know is not a treatise and a big old sociology class on race. 
what does the Bible say about people, about how God sees people, and then how do we conform our lives to see people the way God sees them. I'd say the best summary that I know of that helps me the best is in Galatians, where Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And this whole deal about divide up, divide up, divide up, put us into groups, categorize us. uh, God says, I'm going to save you and I'll put you into a group called my family. And you are sons and daughters of God. And you will feast with me at the banquet in heaven and you'll feast with me at the table as you worship together as my family in churches while you're on earth. Understood and applied to our lives properly, this incident in Acts chapter 10, this morning's incident, this morning's uh, Peter and Cornelius and Holy Spirit interacting with all the people that were there with them. Understood properly, this can help anchor you and give you clarity as you fulfill your job description as Christian all your way to heaven. So pay attention. Three sections in the text for our consideration this morning. First, we're going to talk about Cornelius, a good man who needed to be saved. Second, we're going to talk about Peter, a skeptical but obedient servant of the Lord. And third, God, who shows no partiality. Cornelius, Peter, God. One, two, three. Let's look first at Cornelius. He was a good man. I I did this in quotes. A good man who needed to be saved. And I say that because Jesus himself, when someone said, good teacher, you know, and asked him a question, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God alone. And yet it's emphasized twice in this text that Cornelius was one of the good guys. You wanted him to be your neighbor. He wouldn't steal your newspaper or or call in and report you for anything and and get you in trouble. Uh, He was a good neighbor. He was giving alms. He was praying. He was was what the world categorized as good, and he was even doing works uh, that that God categorized as, as, as good earthly works. Yet he needed to be saved. The Bible calls attention to his works. So one time, Grandpa Sorensen was visiting me, and this was a stressful moment because we jumped from this independent Baptist thing to a to a to, to the PCA to a Presbyterian thing, and we were, you know, and, and my grandpa, who knows the Lord and loves the Lord, was sitting in a Sunday school class, and, and it was Tom teaching on Calvinism and election. I thought, how's Grandpa going to take this? And uh, and Tom was doing a great job talking about how. Uh, there's no known righteous, no not one, all of sin and, and total depravity and the whole thing. And Grandpa, just the old farmer, raised his hand. He goes, well, what about Cornelius in the Bible? It almost seems like uh, he was being good, so God noticed him and, and saved him. And I forget even, I was, I was like all of a sudden tensed up. And Tom answered it, gave good answers and all that. And later on, I said, Grandpa, why did you ask that question? Were you trying to be a smart aleck or something? Why did you ask that? 
Episode, it just always bothered me. I wanted to ask somebody who might know. That's all the only reason. I thought, oh. Um, listen, God, even when he lets non-believers do good things, that's God's blessing on the earth. That's, I throw that personally under the category of common grace, where it says he lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And yes, there are people who are good people, much better people than me, maybe even better than you. And God allows people, just because people are sinful, just because people go against God's will, it doesn't mean they're as bad. Total depravity doesn't mean they are totally the worst kind of depraved. It just means that there is nothing in them to save them. Uh, there is no good in them uh, that inside of themselves that can save themselves. And they need outside righteousness to be right with God. But it doesn't mean that the actions can't be good actions. And it's possible in all this that God is leading Cornelius toward uh, seeking something else. Cornelius needs more, and he knows that even in his goodness, righteousness can't save you if you followed it all your life. If you're Peter who ate all the right foods all your life, can't save you. Jesus has to save you. You're a a non-practicing Jew, and and, and it's not dietary, but you're giving alms and you're doing good things for people. Can't save you. He needed to be saved. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, boy, Paul re- repeated that over and over in there. Understand that. So he was a good guy by a, a level of understanding. Good guys need Jesus, just like bad guys need Jesus. Zacks are a part of God's work in Cornelius' life. God chose to save this good guy not because of his goodness, but because of God's real goodness. There was a certain baseball announcer who told me my bedtime stories. And I would fall asleep every night, tuning in KMOX out of St. Louis, and I'd listen, fall asleep, listen to how those Cardinals were doing. And he died. It was really sad because we lost a pitcher that same Month, I guess. And I'd heard that the funeral services for this announcer were at a PCA church in Missouri, a big St. Louis PCA church. I thought, was he a believer? Will I see him again? And I I called the church and said, hey, I'm Pastor so-and-so up here. Tell me about him. And the guy says, well, you know, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot because that's between him and the Lord and all that, but I'll tell you what's public knowledge. His wife is an active member here and a strong Christian uh, involved with our church. Once he got cancer, the last six months of his life, even though he did all these great, good, charitable things and was a good guy, he made a profession of faith that people know about that was public. I thought, oh, that's so good. I had my oldest daughter, Sarah. She was probably third or fourth grade, and we went to the Hall of Fame that year to, a month later or so to see Ozzie Smith get inducted. And I was in the radio part of the of the uh, Hall of Fame, and, and a fellow Cardinal fan had put a, a little note and a flower that said, we miss you. 
And I just stood there and cried, but maybe I would have anyway. But the joy of knowing there was an encounter with God before and that the good man, the good guy, the guy I liked who needed salvation seems at least publicly to have received that before he died. Good guys, good people. If you consider yourself a good guy and you're not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, well, glad you're a good guy or a good girl. But you need Jesus. That's a message of this text that's there for you. The Holy Spirit didn't just fall on him and the people gathered with them based on their acts. What had to happen? Peter had to come and Peter shared the gospel. And in the context of the gospel being shared, when that word was done, something would have happened in their hearts where they believed and then the Holy Spirit fell. What is the gospel in this text? Luke is careful to tell us that. It wasn't just, oh, Christianity, sign here. What, what did Peter preach? You see that in verses 36 through 43. Uh, just a couple of points. Uh, verse 36, Peter said, Jesus Christ, we have peace through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Something about Jesus that gives ultimate peace where Jesus is the Lord of all. Verses 37 through 39a, he came to earth and he did things while he was on earth that only God could do. You can't attribute it to anything. Oh, they lied about him, said it was the devil doing that and all that stuff, but it was only God could do it. He said, it's well documented, even spread over. You heard about him where you are. Third, verse 39b, he died, he was killed, he was put to death. It was a real death. Nobody's ever said it was anything but. It wasn't an almost death, a swoon. They pulled him down. They revived him. It wasn't any of that. Everybody that knows him that was there says real death. That real man, that truly God, truly man, died on the cross. Verses 40 and 41. He rose from the dead bodily. It wasn't a spirit that rose. It wasn't a sense of Jesus. And now he's in all of us. No, his real body rose from the dead. And Peter said, we even had, had a, we, we drank and we ate with him. We had a couple meals with him. We saw him. He really conquered death. And then in verse 42, he commanded his followers to tell people about him, including that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. After he rose from the dead, he said to his followers that he's having his meal with that saw him, he's saying, you've got to tell people about this. You've seen it. You tell people. And tell people that I am the one who's been appointed to be the judge. They better, they better do something, confront this, reject him, as some people have said, if you want. But you better encounter him. Reject him at your own risk. But think about it. This is the claim of the Bible. Then in verse 43, Peter tells Cornelius, this was foretold in the past. He said, all the prophets bear witness. Wouldn't have been Cornelius' spiritual literature, but it would have been the Jewish literature, the Old Testament, that's part of our scriptures. They all pointed to him and told about him. And then finally he said this word, this terrible, bad word, 
sins. He said, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. There is forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins through his name. And when Peter proclaimed this, and that word was done, and they had engaged with this, they were prepared for this, they had called for him, they'd heard about Cornelius' vision, they were gathered to hear. Obviously they believed because then the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they spoke in tongues as at the day of Pentecost. And they praised God uh, in languages that were different to their own. Say it again. I said it earlier. I jumped the gun a little bit. One point for you is that if you're a quote-unquote good person generally, that's not going to be enough. Okay? Think about that. Now, what about Peter and race? Peter, the skeptical but obedient servant of the Lord. Like everyone who God saves, like you, like me, he was a work in progress. The Bible says you are God's workmanship, his work of art. His, I think the Greek word is poema. He's, he's writing this poem. It's longer than the St. Patrick's poem. It's about you. And you are a work of art, and he's working on you constantly as you make your way to heaven. You don't hit a plateau and stop growth if you're a Christian. It may feel like it to you. You may feel as dead as a a tree out there. You go, cut that tree down, there's no leaves on it. Well, it's wintertime. I bet there'll be trees on it. Let's wait till summertime and then mark the tree uh, and then you can cut it when all the leaves fall off of them. But, but a lot of us, even though we are believers and we go through our dry periods or at least our periods where on the outside and even ourselves, we look at ourselves, we go, There's, how could I be saved? It's not flowing. It's not, well, there are seasons that we go through and, and Peter is one of these people. He was a work in progress. He'd been through being called. He'd been through the rebuke. Get thee behind me, Satan. He'd been through all of the stuff. He'd been through the bitter tears after he betrayed Christ. He'd been through the wonderful restoration when Jesus took a walk with him on the beach and said, feed my sheep. He'd been through all of these things. And God was continuing to work on him. And here he is. He couldn't. He was who he was. He was a Jewish kid that grew up. Dietary laws. He grew up in, the, in a culture, and a system, in a way. Um, and God gives him the dream. The takeaway is keep learning and growing in Christ who keeps teaching you and leading you. We can say this is how God works on others of his Christians why isn't it the same with you if, you're the, if, if all people are the same to God? There are lessons, there's a walk, there's a growth. Uh, we, we call this our spiritual walk in Christ. You don't have to get saved every hour of every day. You get saved, but you live for Christ. And we walk, and we grow, and we know that. And what did Peter do? He did what we get to do when we hear something and think about something. It says he was... Uh, spiritually aware, verse 17, he was inwardly perplexed by the dream. He saw the dream, he heard God three times, 
He wondered what it meant, and he, inwardly he was perplexed. He knew it was an encounter with God, and he was thinking about it. He was meditating on it, and it wasn't easy. It wasn't two plus two equals four type stuff. It was something complicated, but he knew it was from God, and he was inwardly perplexed. I hope each of us as Christians can be inwardly perplexed at what we see going on and 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 it's counterintuitive to the way we are and yet we know God's working and we know God's wanting us to be a certain way and, and live a certain way. There's no sin to be inwardly perplexed. I think it's a sin to fool yourself and others into thinking you have all the answers when you don't. That would be the sin. But to take the text and meditate on it and think about it and say, what's God doing? How's God working in this situation? What's up? I know God is sovereign. I know I can trust him. What's going on? And Peter's saying, what's going on with this? I can't eat that stuff. I can't eat it. All my life I haven't eaten. It's unclean. And God says, don't call it unclean and common if I say it's not. And he's thinking. He was willing to go against prevailing wisdom to obey God in this, even if he didn't quite understand it. Verses 27, 28, and 29. Right here. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he, that's Peter, said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Wasn't with the culture. In fact, it was against cultural norms, but he went because he knew what God had told him to do. Can we properly call Peter a racist? No. No. I don't think so. My family was getting ready to adopt a a kid from around the world, other side of the world, different race. And the only reason I know about this story is because I was a sneaky little third grader who listened at doors and tiptoed away. <laughs> I listened when I thought there was something important. And I thought about them the rest of my life and pondered. I don't know if I've even had a conversation with any of the players involved in this, about this. My sister was coming from Korea. My dad was pretty fired up. He was mad. He was talking to mom, relaying a conversation he had with another family member who was close to us. And that family member had advised my dad. He didn't know maybe how long they were in the far along in the process. He thought maybe it was just an idea, and maybe dad even floated to him as just an idea when we were already way down the road toward, toward, toward my sister coming. This person said, I don't think you should bring an Asian to Oskaloosa, Iowa. He said, I don't think it's the best thing for her. I think people are still thinking of the war. This is World War II. This is back in the 70s. See, it had only been gone for a couple years. 
And, and I thought about this later when a man told me one time when I was a young man, they're all dead now, but he said, boy, I'd get behind a car that's a Mitsubishi. I'd get so mad because those are the planes that Pearl Harbor and shot down our boys and he lost somebody and all that. And there was a strong anti-Asian prejudice. So this man said to my dad, nothing wrong with adopting. But I think you're asking for trouble to bring another race into the town to put her up, set her up for trouble. Was that a racist statement? I don't think so. I think it was an awareness of, of the sin of racism that's here. My dad said, well, she's my daughter. <laughs> you treat her like you treat the rest of my kids or you don't see any of us. We know we're supposed to bring her. That's my daughter. And when this person fell in love with one-sixth of the Hutchinson siblings, we saw there wasn't a race issue with him. It was him being trying to be practical and maybe overthinking it and not being the one doing it. I don't know. I'm not going to hammer on, on him for that. And I'm not going to hammer on Peter for saying, here are the cultural norms. But when he saw what God said to do, he did it. Peter was oriented one way. He was aware of cultural differences and difficulties. He didn't know what this meant, but he went. How good to have somebody, every skeptical but obedient servant of the Lord I've ever met has been good for me and for God's kingdom. You obey what God's telling you even if it goes against culture. One point for you is that like Peter, when you discern God's will for your life as a Christian, you might find yourself doing things that are counterintuitive out of obedience to your love for God. Somebody in, in a text, a couple of text messages following a conversation this week sent me from A Christmas Carol, the text where Marley said to Scrooge, mankind was our business. And you think about that and you think about yourself and your business as you live in this world and what's Christian, what's your business, what's God called you to? What was Jesus' business on the earth? What's your business as his little brothers and sisters who live? We'll go quicker coming up, but you need to hear this one quote. I'm reading this theological thing on, on false idols and worship, and this just made the point again, if, you, if, I can, if I can read it right. Talking about the people, the idolaters in the Old Testament, they worshiped God uh, with their mouths. You would call them that, that Old Testament version of Sunday go to meet in Christians. Their name was on a church roll somewhere. They'd probably been baptized and and, uh, and knew some spiritual language. But here's, here's the difference, and here's what we're not supposed to be. Here's what we're supposed to, and, and what we're supposed to be. The writer said, the people failed to make meaningful connections between their theology, history, and worship on the one hand, 
and their real-life problems, on the other hand. They put God, his covenant, his power, his wisdom into a limiting category of thought. They could not bring themselves really to believe the assurance of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. So they put God, all of God's covenant, everything they knew theologically, everything good and true and right, their theology was right. But then it says, while the real world was another category altogether to them with its own rules and its own resources, they acted as though faith in Yahweh or God alone were were an impracticable policy for life. As a result, they dishonored God even as they thought they continued to honor him. You've got to put these two together. Your Christianity is your life. Your life is your Christianity. You don't have Christian ears that you put on at some point and then put world ears on. You can enjoy all these things that God's given us and you can, you can listen, you can eat, you can talk, you can interact. We're not saying withdraw and go to a place, but you're a Christian wherever you are. And, and to think like that and to learn to think like that is, is, is to do away with idolatry. It's to, it's to, to let your, your, your words and your, your thoughts match up with your, your, your steps. Okay, finally, the best part, God. God, verse 15 and verse 34 following, God shows no partiality. What God has made clean do not call uncommon. In every nation, everyone who fears him. God does not distinguish between people and where they were born. God makes people. He lets them be the sex they are when they were born. He lets them be the the generation and the family. He lets them have all of these things, their traits. That's God in charge of that. He does not distinguish that between that when he draws people to himself and saves people. In every nation, everyone who fears him. He shows us this. This is common sense to those of us who've been saved and who have the benefit of seeing how he worked in the early church and how he's worked throughout history in the church in our own lives. If I got up and I said, hey, everybody, I want, I've got this new, great, deep thought for you. Are you ready for this? You guys get ready. This is the deepest thought. Boy, I just, eureka. Boy, I learned something new. This I'm glad to be a pastor. I learned something new this week. And you're all on the edge of your seats. I go, racism is a sin. You'd say, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. We knew that. We know that. God doesn't respect persons. Of course. God shows us this. We, we, that, that's, 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 that's Christianity 101. Of course. The Holy Spirit fell on them to think about that. Not a moment's hesitation. It was God's plan all along. And Christianity transcends all the petty divisions that all these people fight over and divide into and and, and jockey for their position. Christianity transcends that. If you're a Christian, you're in the family. They were baptized on the spot. And think about that. The news is that God saves people from every tribe, nation, tongue, people, language, God is a saving God, and God is a global God. God is a universal God. And God's salvation, and if he saved you, wow, you're part of something that's big and huge and wonderful. Wow. Quick application. A couple of things. Let the Bible, including this section of the Bible, inform you with all the discussion on race that's going on today. Some of it's very godly. Some of it's very ungodly. That's just true. Just because somebody says it 
doesn't mean it's true. If the Bible says it, it's true. Somebody doesn't even have to know God, and they can speak the truth. We believe sincerely that all truth is God's truth. We believe sincerely that God blows his truth through a silver trumpet uh, sometimes. And so it's true if the Bible says it's true. And not everything out there is wrong. And not everything out there is right. Since being made right with God through Jesus includes a transformed life, one where we want to reflect the God who saved us, then we will endeavor to look at ourselves and, and to make sure we're, we're with God. We have God's attitude on people. Since God does not show partiality, we don't show partiality either. Third, people in this world who don't know God, who are battling and accusing and drawing each other into their wars, cannot draw you into their wars. Your citizenship is in heaven. Remember that. You don't have to fear being falsely accused, being called anything, including racist, as long as you're not a racist. Just worry about what God's calling you. And even if God says you've got an issue in your heart with a racism, then say, God, thank you for showing me that. Forgive me for that. I repent of that sin. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for that sin and deal with it and, and move on. Boy, that, that's another, another sin that Jesus went to the cross for. But being called racist by someone who hates you and resists the claim of God on their own life is not the same thing as actually being it. When you don't own the sins of other people, you are responsible for your own sins. Ezekiel 18. Father answers for his sins. The son answers for his sins. Pastor who should know better puts on his website, that was my knee on George Floyd's neck. No, it was not your knee on George Floyd's neck. That was somebody else's knee on George Floyd's neck. The only time the Bible talks about representative sins, two places, and you need to get this and understand this theologically. The Bible verse that says, in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. All right? When Adam sinned, that was your sin. When Jesus paid for your sin, that was him paying for your sin. And that's your representatives. There's a David Hutchinson out there running up all kinds of debts. At least there was five years ago. The bill collectors are calling me. Is this David Hutchinson? Yeah. Um, this is an attempt to collect a debt, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you go to Johnson and Wales? I said, I don't even know what Johnson and Wales is. I said, it's a college. It's a university. Oh, okay. It must be something I've never heard of up here. So there's a David Hutchinson. Because he shares my name, and is somewhere in New England, and some guy's trying to cheaply collect a debt and getting some money for it, does that mean I have to pay for that debt? No. I pay for my own debts. He pays for his debts. If your sin is racism, that's your sin. Don't say, well, the whole world is, and therefore I'm part of the world, so yeah, it's mine too, and I'm just a part. No. You want to confess your sins? Pastor on a website, give us some real sins if you think that's what you need to do.
love God, appreciate God. God saves people. He saves all people. Own up to your sins. Be like God as much as you can. When you fall short, you confess that, and Jesus has forgiven that. And love the way that God has made so many people celebrate the difference. Love everyone, receive everyone, accept everyone, hope for everyone, pray for everyone. Realize no one is beyond the reach of of God's love. And we'll just close with this picture of heaven because this goes all the way to heaven. I love this guy. (laughs) Oh, man. It is good to see you, Noah. (laughs) There's the highlight of the sermon. Revelation 7, 9 through 17. This is where, where we go to the table. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All these people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, God loves the diversity of his people. And that's heaven for us. And all the nations were standing around the throne and around the elders and the foreign living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We'll stop with that. And we'll be thankful for what God's done in our life, what God is doing in other people's life around the world. And we're glad that God is no respecter of of persons. And we're not either. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the salvation you've given us. Thank you for Cornelius and his family and friends and Boy, we'll be around the throne uh, worshiping with them. Wow, we get to be part of that. We'll be with that Samaritan woman at the well. We'll be with Peter and, and those. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you brought to us. It's not based on our being good or our being a particular uh, pigmentation in our skin or, or whatever uh, distinguishes us. We thank you that the salvation comes from you because you saved us lovingly, graciously, forgave us of our sins, and adopted us into your family. We thank you for that salvation. We thank you for that family meal we're about to partake of here and now at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.